are Locked On 49ers, your daily San Francisco 49ers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On 49ers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Brian Peacock here with you on this Friday episode of the show. Uh, this one is all about the listeners. We're going to get into the mailbag, at least in segments two and three. I do want to get to some Kyle Shanahan sound from his press conference on Thursday and then dip into uh, the early portion of the injury report. The obviously practice sessions have been shifted back a day because of the late game on the Monday night football schedule. So we'll get more into that on Monday's show and really have a better idea of who's hurt, who's not, who's uh, in good shape to play on Monday night football against the New York Giants. A reminder to subscribe, rate, review the show. We're on iTunes, we're on Google Podcasts, we're on Spotify. We are everywhere. You can follow me on Twitter at BD Peacock. That is the best place to get those mailbag questions in. We're going to dip into the mailbag again next week with a, uh, a little Winky Wednesday. Yeah, we're going to bring back the Winky Wednesday next week because there is no crossover Wednesday with the bye week upcoming. And also on Tuesday, of course, will be the Rapid React, breaking down everything that happens against the Giants on Monday Night Football. And you can also email the show, LockedOn49ers at Gmail. And of course, LockedOn49ers.com has all of the podcasts, and you can find other articles and things, including the latest from John Chick, who wrote about why the 49ers had no choice, and Kyle Shanahan had no choice but to choose Nick Mullins as his starting quarterback in Week 10. The coach talked about his quarterback on Thursday. Before we get to that, a real quick check on the injury report for the 49ers as they start practice. Ruben Foster not practicing with his hamstring injury, also resting his shoulder, but uh, the injury is listed as hamstring and not shoulder for Ruben Foster. Pierre Garçon not practicing with a knee injury. Joe Staley just getting his veteran day off, which is usually Wednesdays. It was Thursday this time. And then uh, Jaquaski Tart also not practicing with his shoulder injury. A couple of players limited in practice. George Kittle, a little bit of a surprising one. He's dealing with some sort of a chest injury, had a no-contact jersey on, but was out at practice. And Weston Richburg still nursing that knee injury. That'll probably linger all season long. He was limited. Looks like those guys are on schedule to play. But overall, that's a very short Injury list and maybe as short as it's been all season for the 49ers. So getting healthy a little bit here with a nice 10 days off after Thursday night football before Monday night football. And then we'll have a bye in week 11 to get even further healthy before that last stretch of the season starting in week 12. All right, let's hear from the coach. What went into the decision to start Nick Mullins Monday night? Uh, just the way he played. Uh, I think the way everyone saw he played, I don't think it was too tough of a decision. Um, you know, our team played really well and he played well. So it's going to be hard not to give him that opportunity. Yeah, I agree. Uh, not too hard of a decision at all. I think it was pretty obvious what he had to do there starting Nick Mullins. Next, Coach talked about the process of bringing in Nick Mullins and credits Rich Scagnarello, the quarterback's coach, uh, for a lot of the reason that the 49ers ended up signing Mullins after the draft. And the first thing that stood out, you know, Skangarillo, our quarterback coach, had told us about him for a while, and we watched him and liked him. Um, you know, Rich really liked him, put in the most time on him. And the first thing that stood out is when he came in, uh, thought he looked like Rich's younger son. Um, so we, we kind of gave him a lot of crap for it on, on why he liked him so much. But um, that was the main thing. He was dressed nice, looked like he was interviewing for a quality control job. Um, you could tell why he was so successful in college, just by how he talked and how he saw the game. 
And the 49ers were the only team that brought Nick Mullins in, too. Uh, so uh, props to Coach Skaggs for finding him. That's huge value if an undrafted guy becomes your backup quarterback. Or even to find an undrafted quarterback that wins you one NFL game is insanely valuable. I thought the story earlier in the week was hilarious about how Mullins was trying to yell back at Kyle Shanahan to shut up with the play calls or after the play call because he was in the huddle trying to to call the play to the teammates. And uh, that was fantastic because it's not a two-way radio. It's only one way, so Shanahan couldn't hear him. He's going to have to say it louder. I can't hear him from the sidelines. It's a, That's always a dilemma for coaches and quarterbacks, so it's um, – it's, it's funny because I know if I was a quarterback and someone was yelling in my ears, I would handle it much worse than those guys would. I struggle. I've done it. I've almost gotten in trouble with head coaches for saying the wrong thing. When you're trying to think and make a play call and someone's yelling in your ear, it's, it's hard to think. Um, the hard thing with calling plays in games is we call it and we don't know if they heard it or not. Sometimes they need it again. The problem is it shuts off at 15 seconds. Um, so... You're just sitting there chilling, and sometimes they go like this, they need it again, and there's only 18 seconds on the clock. Well, you have two and a half seconds to spit it out for them to hear it. Um, And then sometimes I think they didn't hear it, and I start repeating it again, and they're just trying to call it, and I'm yelling it again in their ear, and I'm driving them crazy, as I should. So it's I wish there was a two-way talk on it. It would be a lot easier. I love that, not only because it's a funny story, but hearing the intricacies and sort of the, the crazy stuff that goes on in between the actual game and the actual plays and all the things that can go right and wrong for a football team and just stuff that you don't think about as a fan. You're watching the game. Oh, he knows the play call. He makes the play call. But just that communication, uh, that's crazy. And then the fact that it completely shuts off with 15 seconds to go. Uh, just stuff you don't really normally think about. So I love hearing about those kind of things. And, and I love that Coach Shanahan is sort of candid about that kind of stuff. And one last cut from the Shanahan presser, and this one, I mean, obviously everyone's excited, and it's, it's a fun story about Nick Mullins, and he's got the start, but on the other side of it, there's C.J. Beathard, who's getting benched and losing his starting opportunity, and Kyle Shanahan goes out of his way here just to make sure that all of the blame doesn't get heaped on C.J. Beathard. I feel the same about C.J. now as I always have. I, I get that we'd love better results and love for his record to be better. Um, C.J. did some really good things that um, are very encouraging to show his ability that he can play in this league. Um, and then he had some games where he wasn't as good. Uh, I don't put that all on C.J. I put it on our entire team. Um, there's things he could have done better. Um, but you know, I believe C.J. has the ability to play in this league, and I think he has shown that. Um, I think it's very hard in this league when you get a record like that when you have turnovers and stuff, um, that's what's so hard about our profession that people are going to come down on you extremely hard and they're going to look to the quarterback. They're going to look to coordinators. They're going to look to the head coach. And, you know, it's, that's tough stuff for people to deal with. And I think CJ's strong enough to deal with it, though. He is confident in himself, not, um, not for any fake reason. He's confident in himself because he truly believes he can do it. And he can. I, I truly believe that. Um, but I think it's very hard when guys guys get washed out quickly because of all the pressure. That I don't think everyone totally knows exactly why you win and lose. Um, everyone wants to pinpoint it on the obvious thing, and that's usually the guy who touches the ball most. But I think there's a lot more that goes to winning and losing. And I mean, you can take, I mean, Kirk Cousins in his first nine games. You know what his record was one and eight. You know he had um, 19 picks and 18 touchdowns. You know CJ is one and eight. Um, I think he has 13 picks. Um, it doesn't mean that he's him, but I also know that a lot of people gave up on Kirk because of how he started, and everyone wanted to put it on one guy when it was a lot more than just that. And CJ needs to improve, needs to get better, but 
you you can't just get in you can't get over you can't overrate all the stuff that people are putting in on one person and think that you just can't play CJ has the mental toughness to get through that, and eventually someday, I don't know when, he will get his opportunity, and um, hopefully he'll heal up, get fresher, and learn from what he did good and what he did bad. And the Kirk Cousins and CJ comparison there, and I get that, and obviously Kirk Cousins was Shanahan's guy. And then it's also the comparison that that people forget about is just the overall winning and the head coach, Kyle Shanahan. Uh, Record-wise, Bill Walsh in his first two seasons with the 49ers, he didn't come out of the gate just winning games and going to Super Bowls. I think he won eight games combined in his first two seasons, which is basically the pace that Kyle Shanahan's on right now. So it's a process. It's a, it's a slow process sometimes, and it's difficult when, when your team's losing for a couple of seasons, but uh, that doesn't mean that the boat is not at least pointed in the right direction in another offseason. And, and when it does start to hit and it does start to click, it could happen very quickly for the 49ers. And we've seen how important it is to have that functional quarterback. And maybe Mullins is going to prove that he is that at least for the backup, long-term backup for the 49ers, which is, is somewhat exciting, even if it's not C.J. Beathard like the 49ers thought when they drafted him in the third round. Okay, let's open up that mailbag, uh, take a quick break, and then we'll jump into those listener questions. Let's start with some older emails I've been meaning to get to. And, you know, Nick and I are long-winded, so I haven't been getting to those on those uh, weekly wink episodes. But I want to go to Rodney, who is angry about tanking. And I get it, and I kind of agree, but uh, I think this is a funny email. He said, not super eloquent, but I'm kind of upset about the tanking talk. Tanking is loser talk. It is a poverty mentality. It is excuse talk. If we can get a a great draft pick, then we will be good. It is the opposite of taking responsibility. It is playing the lottery for monetary success in life rather than getting up and preparing for what you want your life to look like. It is not dressing for the job you want. These guys need to know what winning feels like. Look at teams like the Patriots, Packers, and even Seattle yearly picking late in the draft, but still successful. Look at the Browns picking high every year in the draft and now firing coaches. Oh, let's lose these games to put all our chips in one draft pick that may or may not pan out. Now you've bought in a potential superstar to fix an organization that has no idea what winning looks or feels like asinine. Thank you for that email, Rodney. I think that pretty well sums up uh, the anti-tanking crowd. And look, the the team's not going to tank. Tanking is not something that ever really comes from the team and, and necessarily the players or coaching staffs. I think sometimes players quit, whether they like that or not, or like it to be characterized that way. And we saw that with the Raiders. We saw it with the New York Giants last year. And that's not, they're not being told to quit. They just are kind of beat down and done. And so that can sometimes happen, but that's not really tanking. I think maybe the only thing that's legitimately tanking from an organization, if they just trade away all the players that could possibly help them win. So that might be part of it, or they're just really bad. And like the Browns weren't tanking all those years. They were just, they really earned all those bad picks because they were terrible. They were trying to win. They were fumbling balls at the goal line against the Steelers in week 17, which would have been if they would have won that game, which was absolutely gifted to them by the Steelers, then the 49ers would have picked number one overall in 2017 instead of the Browns. So it could have been a very different situation. But no, I agree. Look, and we talked about it on yesterday's show with Chris Biederman. Most of these guys are playing for their jobs. Getting a better draft pick might help you out occasionally in certain spots, but if you draft poorly, it's not going to matter. If you draft well, you're going to draft well later, just like you drafted well early. Uh, The big thing is that winning can breed more winning, and I think that's what the 49ers are trying to do. So I don't think the fan base has to worry at all about actual tanking from the 49ers. 
Let's go to Lee, who has a draft question. If San Francisco took Greedy Williams in round one, Greedy Williams is a cornerback from LSU, by the way. How would he rank amongst the 2018 draft cornerbacks? I think we'll miss out on Bosa, so Greedy would be a great pick. Is he as good as the likes of Lattimore, Tredavious White, or Denzel Ward? Um, I don't know. I would definitely say Greedy Williams isn't in the class of Jalen Ramsey, who was, what, a number four overall, a number five overall pick? He went right after, yeah, number five overall, right after Elliott in 2017, who went number, no, 2016, who went four overall. DeForest Buckner was number seven that year. Uh, I don't think Greedy Williams is on that level, and I haven't fully evaluated Greedy Williams. I don't think the 49ers are in the right spot to go cornerback number one. Right now, it looks like Greedy is the number one guy, um, but I think he could be in that class of of corners like Lattimore, Tredavious White and Ward. I think he could be close to that. Now that we've seen those guys play in the NFL, maybe I would rather have those guys because they're money in the bank versus you still don't know about a prospect. But uh, I think I got to push that question out a little bit further, Lee, because I'm not ready to stamp a grade on anybody yet with the draft, except for Bosa. Looks like he's legit uh, top edge rusher, at least in the draft. Let's go to Steve on Twitter. He said, you talked a little bit about Odd fans, the New York Giants fans in particular this week. What would you have to say to fans who don't pick and stick with the team? He says they annoy me, but I've been labeled a hater for that opinion. And one of my good friends, who's a huge sports guy, has done this. Now, thanks for the question, Steve. I don't know. You're not. I mean, if you're switching teams, then that's not fandom. And that's okay. You don't have to choose a team. Like college football, I, I I watch a lot of college football, but it's it's strictly for one reason. I'm looking at NFL draft type prospects and you know enjoying a good game here or there. But I have no rooting interest at all for a team. The college I went to, San Francisco State, didn't even have a football team, so you know I I don't care about college football from a fan's perspective, except for I enjoy watching good players and good games, and I like to scout for NFL players. That's that's what my eye on college football is, but. For somebody who picks a team, they're like, okay, I'm this, I'm a diehard, whatever, 49ers fan. And then they change, and then they change again. It's like, that's you're not really a fan if you're changing, because that's the whole point of being a fan, right? Is this is your team, it's in your blood, they, they pick you, you didn't pick them type of thing, right? But I could see if maybe one time in your life, let's say you are a Raiders fan. And you grew up in the city of Oakland and you are like, uh, this is my team, man. They're in my blood. And then they just pull the rug out from under you. John Gruden comes to town, trades off all the good players, and then move out of town. So it's not your hometown team anymore. And you're like, okay, look, I I am so against what this – they wronged me and I'm going to change affiliations once in my life. Like I understand that. Like you are you are so mad and so – bummed and so hurt that you've been so wronged that you divorce your team and you pick another team. I could see somebody having a good reason to do that in their life. But if you're just bouncing around teams and you're like a huge fan of this team and now I'm a huge fan of that team. I don't know. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me because that's not what being a fan is. Not that it makes you a bad person, but you you can't claim to be a big fan and then be changing all the time. It's like if you're unfaithful to your wife or something like that, you're not a good husband in that case, right? Let's go to Tim, who wants to talk about Nick Mullins. He said, if Mullins leads the team to a second consecutive win, will they erect his statue on the east side of the stadium to honor the Bay Area's rising sun or on the west side to signify the sun setting on C.J. Beathard's career? (laughs) Come on, Tim, that's messed up. (laughs) That's funny, but it's messed up. Um, He goes on to say, seriously, though, what are they doing about running back for Monday night in case something happens to Brita or Morris? 
I've heard about a couple guys from the practice squad. Uh, what do we know about them? So Jeffrey Wilson is most likely going to be the guy. It looks like they brought some people in this week. Amir Abdullah was a guy I thought would have fit, but they did not claim him. The Vikings claimed him off of the Lions who had waived Amir Abdullah. And so it looks like, the, if they, I mean, they probably aren't going to be able to get a guy in if they signed him and have him ready to play anyway. So it looks like Jeff Wilson, who is an undrafted free agent, he's about six feet, 200 pounds. Uh, he's not, doesn't really wow you in any aspect, but he's been on the practice squad. He's been hiding out just like Nick Mullins was. We didn't knew, know who he was really until last week, even though we saw a little in the preseason, similar story for Jeff Wilson. So maybe, maybe he's a stud. Maybe he's the next Burita undrafted free agent that blows up for the 49ers. And just about anybody they put back there has been running at about a seven yards per carry clip for the 49ers this year. So uh, I don't know what to tell you about him except for let's wait and see, because it looks like it's probably going to be Jeff Wilson or Matthew Days called up from the practice squad to fill that last spot at running back, at least for Monday night. And then we'll see going forward. Okay, what do we have here? Let's go to Demetrio, who says, I enjoyed the podcast today. Thank you very much, Demetrio. I appreciate that. If I remember correctly, uh, speaking of the Chris Biederman podcast is what he was speaking of. And thanks again to Chris for joining me on the show. It was a great podcast, I think. Uh, If I remember correctly, Nick Mullins led the preseason comeback against the Chargers. Whichever team it was, we saw him execute the two-minute offense to lead that comeback. If it's a tight game against the Giants, I hope he can do the same. No, that's a great point, Demetrio, and I think that's where the 49ers are. Um, they, they were snatching defeat from the jaws of victory sort of a lot this season. Those those close games, not being able to make a play, not being able to get a stop on defense, which it's still going to be tough because they don't have any you know quarterback level of, you know, uh, not that Nick Mullins is a game changer at quarterback, but, you know, competent play. It's not like they have a new, well, maybe Dakota Watson's that guy. He's going to be the new closer on defense, and or maybe uh, Reuben Foster is going to make that next step and make that leap to superstardom that we think, and, and he'll be the closer. But somebody on defense needs to help and be a closer on that side the ball and maybe Nick Mullins like he showed he's 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 a capable guy he's a smart guy he's done his homework he's fully understands the offense uh, like we said on yesterday's show he he understands the offense as well as anybody according to a lot of players on the team so maybe Nick Mullins is that guy that can make that big play that big throw the the smart play and help the 49ers close that gap instead of losing those three-point games win some games by a field goal down the stretch here All right, time for a quick break, and then we'll be back and finish up this mailbag. Let's keep this mailbag rolling with Juan Carlos on Twitter. He says, I know Mullins balled out against now the worst team in the NFL, but in all honesty, if he does start winning out, how much better will the QB competition be in the offseason? And will that make up with Jimmy G missing games? I think so. What are your thoughts? Um... I don't know, like, basically the the, comp, the quarterback competition next year is for the backup job, and that's happening right now. And Nick Mullins, basically, his first time up, hit a home run. So we'll see if he stays hot, and he's basically got half the season. We saw CJ for almost half the season in the first half, and we'll see what Nick Mullins does. Um, and, I, you know, I don't think Nick Mullins is not going to, look, he's not going to win out, but it's a great story. It's fun for 49ers fans. I like g- going over the top with it right now. And, you know, sizing Nick Mullins for a gold jacket because it's fun. And that's the funnest thing that's happened for the 49ers in many weeks. So it's just let's Nick Mullins is fun for right now. If he actually does win a bunch of games, then that's another story. But let's just have fun with what it is. The 49ers is still a lost season. The Niners aren't going to win out and, and make the playoffs. I mean, I don't think anybody expects that. But this is a is the competition right now for the backup quarterback job. And Nick Mullins 
if he's the start of the rest of the year, that means he probably didn't give that up. And I think both guys will be around next offseason. But then there's going to be some tough decisions to make. And uh, this is this is uh, uh, this is a job interview to be the number two to Jimmy Garoppolo next year. Jimmy's the guy. Jimmy's the number one guy. And that's that. Let's go to Jeremy. Considering the huge misfire on drafting Thomas so high, I believe he's talking about Solomon Thomas, number three overall in 2017. Am I crazy to think maybe John Lynch might be hesitant to draft a D lineman early again and instead just secures a proven edge rusher in free agency and then just addresses another position in the draft? Uh, well, if let me put it to you the opposite way. If the corners that he has drafted, Tarvarius Moore and Akella Witherspoon, were third round picks. That's you draft starting. You're trying to draft starting players in the third round. If they're not good, then maybe with that same idea, they doesn't draft corner either. But I will say this: that I think maybe the lesson to be learned for John Lynch drafting Thomas isn't that not to draft another defensive lineman early. It's to draft an actual flexible, speedy athletic, you know, draft the prototype that you're looking for. If you want an edge guy, draft an edge guy. Because what they did was they drafted an interior guy in Solomon Thomas, and they're trying to put a, a square peg in a round hole, I think. And I think that's the lesson to be learned, not to avoid taking a defensive lineman, because that's too important of a position. And look, they could draft, the, or they could sign a guy in free agency and still draft somebody. I mean, spend the most money you spend in the offseason on a player, spend it on an edge rusher, and then draft another one in the first round. Like, that's how important that is right now to the 49ers, I think, even more so than corner, even if they do sign a free agent edge player. To Scott via Twitter, I've heard a lot of talk about Sherman and his coaching of the secondary. I, I think Scott, when he was writing this tweet, did the air quotes. Coaching of the secondary. He's made an impact because QBs don't throw at him, but is he really making anyone else better? I just don't see it in their play. No, you're right. I mean... He's Uncle Sherm right now, and he's playing well, and teams aren't throwing at him, but it's not like he's making anybody else better. So, no, I, I'm i with you. That's a good point. And, look, he's still a player, so I think the coaches still need to coach before Sherman coaches. I think he's an extra guy that's smart, and, and guys can utilize him. And But maybe and, – and part of it, look, this is why – look, every sport, almost every single sport, every single great coach, every single great GM, every single – it's because most of those guys weren't great players. Very rarely does a great player become a great front office person, a great GM, and it does happen, but not very often, or a great manager in any sport. It's usually role player types because they understand how to get by with less ability. And if you're an awesome player, I think maybe it's sometimes hard. It's like you, you want to tell guys, hey, go do this. And the other guy's like, dude, I can't do that. I'm not you. So maybe that's part of it. I don't know. But no, I get it. I get the point. Everybody talks about Uncle Sherm and how he's a coach on the field. But yeah, he would be fired if he was a, a defensive backs coach because nobody else is, is playing all that well. Although there's been a lot of injuries and they don't have the pass rush that they need. So that's key too. those things work so much together. That's why I think that the secondary is probably better than they've looked if they had a pass rush. So I'm all in on the edge. Get, they need to spend whatever they have to in draft capital and money to make sure they have edge rushers that can get after the quarterback next year. I think it will make a world of difference. You saw what it was like on Thursday night with the 49ers pressuring Derek Carr and the Oakland Raiders. It was unreal how much difference that made to the defense when you can get after the other team's quarterback. And a lot of that was because I think the 49ers were fresh and, and angry and playing hard. 
but a lot of that was a bad Raiders offensive line. And so you got to protect your quarterback. You got to get after the other team's quarterback and you got to have a good quarterback. Like this is a quarterback's league. So get a quarterback, protect yours, get the other team's quarterback. Uh, That's the number one thing that you should be trying to do in today's NFL. Let's see. Let's do one more. We've got one more. This is Joey DeWap. This is Joey on Twitter. He says, is Mullins the second coming of, dare I say, Garoppolo? What if Mullins balls out to finish the season? Would a quarterback-needy team throw a bunch of picks in exchange for him? I know I'm getting ahead of myself here, but is it a possibility? WWBPD. What would Brian Peacock do? (laughs) Thank you very much. Uh, That's probably a hashtag, WWBPD, that does not need to go out there because... uh, yeah, I, what I would do is, oh, I would have done so many things differently. I don't know where this team is right now. They're they're chasing their tail a little bit with some of the personnel moves they've made. But I think they, I think this has been a hard lesson in 2018, which is important. I think they know what they have to address, and I think we saw that on Thursday night, and I think we'll see that going forward. As far as your question about Mullins becoming Garoppolo, I mean, maybe Garoppolo is a second round pick. And he's playing for such a high-profile team that was winning Super Bowls like the Patriots. And when he got in, he played so great. Um, so I, I, part of it is, yes, Mullen's playing great. But I, he physically, he's not as impressive as Garoppolo. And Garoppolo's not like a big, huge, cannon-armed guy. But Nick Mullins is literally uh, 6'1", 187 pounds. He's the guy that if you if you were playing against his team in slow-pitch softball and he came up, you would kind of scoot in a little bit. You know what I mean? He's not like somebody that he's not a physically impressive guy. He wasn't drafted, period, let alone a second round pick. So he just doesn't have that cachet that Jimmy Garoppolo did last year. But if he plays like ridiculous, then I could see maybe there being a market for him. But at the same time, if he plays that ridiculous, we saw Garoppolo get hurt. What if he gets hurt again? And now you're back to Beathard next year if you traded Mullins. So. Um, and you're right, Joey, you're getting way ahead of yourself. Like that's, we probably shouldn't be even talking about this topic because it's kind of ridiculous and we're having fun with the Mullins era right now and the hashtag Mullins mania. But if it was to happen and Mullins just straight balls out all the rest of the season and looks ridiculously good, you have to field offers because you have Garoppolo and you already paid him. And basically Mullins is the poor man's version of what Garoppolo was coming into last year. So um, I don't know. It's an interesting scenario, and there's a lot that would have to actually happen that I don't think you should expect to happen going forward. Uh, I would not be, I would not hang my hat on that. I would not get wrapped up in that. Let's enjoy the ride. Let's watch some young players develop. Let's see what Mullins is. The clock might strike midnight on Monday Night Football. He might play really good again against a bad team. We'll see what happens going forward. It'll be fun. Let's just enjoy the ride. Let's enjoy this uh, this short-lived fun we're having with Nick Mullins at quarterback for the 49ers. And look, ideally what you have is you have a solid backup quarterback that you're okay with if he gets forced into the football game, but you'd rather him not be in there because you got Jimmy Garoppolo. That's that's what we should be looking forward to right now. And I think that's the realistic expectation for who potentially Nick Mullins could be for the 49ers. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Locked On 49ers. Thank you so much to all the people who uh, got their questions in to me. I didn't get to everybody. I apologize. But keep those questions coming. Uh, I love to have the conversation on Twitter at BD Peacock. You can email the show LockedOn49ers at gmail.com. And I'll be back Monday right here on Locked On 49ers.